Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallup. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sutkus. And together we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. And today we're discussing The Gray Man, the return of Ryan Gosling after four years away from movies. I've been waiting so long for it. By the way, guys, when we eventually get to our Ryan Gosling career episode, I'm going to be bringing Tom Cruise energy to that one. So look out. Uh, the Gray Man is the new action movie from Netflix and the Russo Brothers. We're going to be getting to all that and more in just a few minutes. But first, it's our weekly watch list. Matt, what have you been watching this week? I'm going to keep mine pretty brief because I really... I've watched a couple things, but it, it's been in preparation for this episode and our next one, which is going to be on Jordan Peele. So, I've mostly already seen most of the Russo Brothers' work, but I did catch Welcome to Collinwood. How was that? Uh, not my favorite. That seems to be the, the general <laughs> response at the time. It was. It had the bones of something good, but I'm I'm glad they went on and did better things after this. Yeah, we're gonna talk about their filmography. Uh, yeah, in, in a couple of minutes, and that's gonna be very fascinating. Yeah, and then I just I, I saw Get Out, and I'm gonna be watching Us, hopefully tonight before we go see Nope this week. Oh, nice. Us is a lot of fun, so I think you'll enjoy that. Uh, Tyler, what have you we've been watching? So I tried to watch, this is related to today's episode, so I'll give my thoughts later, the movie Cherry, and oh my god, I could not make it through. <laughs> god, I, did, I made it, I think, not even halfway, and I'm just like, nope. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give my, my thoughts on that later, but I, I also watched, this is a show I want to bring up, The Rehearsal on HBO, which is Nathan Fielder's new show. Nathan oh, Fielder, yeah. Yeah, that was... the funniest man on television. We should be giving him everything because I love Nathan Fielder so much. Wait, is the show good? The show is really good. It's hilarious. It's, it's the strangest <laughs> concept for a show, and it's so funny. Oh, okay, good. I just want to, I just want to, in case anyone doesn't know, I just want to explain it. But um, it's basically like he, he put the nag on Craigslist for like, what do people want to get off their chest? And he basically sets up a rehearsal by building exact sets to where the people are going to do it. Like, picture-perfect sets. He has actors come in to play the the person they're telling to. And they he, like, does, like, reconnaissance with the person that's getting the news to learn their mannerisms and stuff. And it's so nuts. It's hilarious. Funniest man on television? I feel like Tim Robinson would beg to differ. Okay, they should both make a show together. That would be awesome. <laughs> That might be so strange, it would blow people's minds. It, it, it would be such a strange thing of humor that, like, there'd be a small subset of people that actually laughed. Yeah. Yeah, you you would laugh until you'd suffocate, and, <laughs> and that would be it for you. Uh, I watched quite a few things. I'll try to go through it uh, a little quickly here. First thing I want to tell you about is The Sea Beast. This is a new Netflix animated movie about a sea monster hunter and like a young stowaway who go into unknown territory when they develop a complicated relationship with this sought-after sea monster. This is directed by Chris Williams, who had formerly co-directed Big Hero 6, Moana, but I believe this is his solo directorial debut. Co-wrote the script with Nell Benjamin, who's somebody who's very big in the musical theater world. This is one of my favorite movies of the year so far, and I'd love it if a lot of people saw it. It has this fun, swashbuckling adventure atmosphere. The animation is really insane. The look of the monsters, the way they animated water, the way the characters hold themselves, the colors they use, and like the angles they created for the action sequences. I would love to see a storyboard of this thing. Voice work is super good too, um, particularly that of the stars. Carl Urban's in this, um, Zaris Angel Hader. Jared Harris and Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Um, this film cuts very deep with some tough themes about recognizing that sometimes people with good intentions, noble intentions, do things that are wrong, but that doesn't mean that we can't honor them while recognizing where they went wrong and taking a new path. There's also this crazy discussion about how books and like our passing down of history and truth outlives actual truth and what actually happened in the world. So it's really vital to be careful with the stories that we tell. Like these insane, well-discussed things happening in this kids movie. Uh, really excellent, I think everyone should watch it. 
Matt, the next one is for you. I watched Unhinged. Oh, right. The, the 2020. I remember, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, I remember this as being like one of the few COVID but still in theaters movies. It was like, you know, in it was, I think it came out like August 2020 when, which I feel like was the first attempt of people being like, ah, we're over it. But, you know, little did we know. Well, I thought Tenet technically came out before this. Uh, maybe Tenet. It was. I know it was Tenet, unhinged, <laughs> and like New Mutants or whatever. Oh, don't remind me about New Mutant. Well, for anyone who doesn't know, unhinged is about uh, this woman who gets into road rage with this guy who is unhinged, and he terrorizes her life after she refuses to apologize. Directed by Derek Borte, written by Carl Ellsworth, who had previously written Disturbia, which was like a teenage favorite of mine. Um, this movie, it's a. a decent disturbing thriller that really lives and dies by the action that's going on i have to say this and matt tell me if you agree or not this is some of the worst casting that i have seen in a while i'm not trying to like rag on anybody but it was glaring <laughs> russell crowe russell crowe's good as always right he was good as the unhinged man you know, you know he's being really violent it works but the mother character who is played by karen pistorius who does a good job of acting but she is supposed to be this beaten down by life, newly divorced single mother who her own mom is like sick in a home somewhere. She's got like, in a, I, don't, I don't know if the kid's supposed to be like 11 or 13, somewhere in that range. But Karen Pistorius was like 29 or 30 when they filmed this. And it shows like she seems really young to have like that young of a kid. Also just does not appear as like beaten down by life. There's a brother character, her brother, so, like, uncle to the kid, but, like, he just seems like a teen. And the grandmother character, they just, like, went way too old with. You, like, cannot tell who anybody is until they say it explicitly. Matt, am I way off base, or did you notice this? <laughs> I, you know, I didn't really I didn't really think too much about it, but you are right on the money with that observation for sure. Okay, glad, I'm glad I'm not going crazy because it was just like staring me in the face. I mean, I'm I'm, like, I'm, I'm thinking about on? it again now, and I'm like, yeah, you, yeah, you make a good point for sure. Um, yeah. I mean, he's good, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. This movie, it was, it was, it's very unique. I'll say. <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. there's a certain type of person that would enjoy this movie, and that's not everybody. It's very like <laughs> violent to be violent. Yeah, um, I mean, I it's... my I just get the kick out of describing it to somebody and being like, Russell Crowe gets road rage and tries to kill this family. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's one of those things that like, and it kind of tries at the beginning. It could have had something to say about like what happens when angry and aggressive people collide, and like road rage is the perfect vehicle for that because mm -hmm. we all feel like less inhibition when we're in our cars um but this movie doesn't really have anything to say and that's that's okay not every movie has to be like that i also watched the deep house this is a movie from last year uh great concept it's about a couple who are aspiring youtubers who like explore abandoned places and they swim through a preserved house that sunk to the bottom of a lake which is a super cool idea uh, it was directed by Alexander Bustillo and Julianne Mori. They wrote it with Julian David and Rachel Parker. It's quite impressive, especially the filming of all the underwater scenes, which is about like 80% of the movie. There are a few creepy moments here. I have to say for how amazing the technical elements are, I would say they didn't fully realize the potential of the concept. The story could have been a little stronger. You know, in essence, it is a haunted house movie, um, and it was very similar to like the horrifying backstory that we get in every haunted house movie, like all oh, creepy stuff happened here and now it's haunted, that sort of thing. I would still recommend it though, it was pretty good. And guys, I also saw Where the Crawdads Sing. I went to a theater to see this and not particularly feeling great about making that decision. <laughs> um, but this is about, it's based on like the mega best selling book by. Delia Owens, it's about a young woman. She survives in the North Carolina marsh alone since she's a young girl. And then later on, she's accused of the murder of her town's 
golden boy, star quarterback, and like her life and romances are told in flashbacks. This is directed by Olivia Newman, written by Lucy Alibar, who had previously written, co-written, uh, Best Picture nominee, Beasts of the Southern Wild, which is a, a very fascinating movie that was very interesting how that went so high profile. Um, I have read the book Where the Crawdads Sing. It's pretty good. I liked it. It's not perfect, but there are some really cinematic elements to it. There are certain scenes that I was reading it, and as I was, I said to myself, I can picture what this would look like in the movie. They could really make something of this. And I remember during our summer preview episode, I said, I think this is going to be a big literary adaptation like The Goldfinch that is going to come and go. And I was hoping I was wrong, but I was not wrong at all. This is this is like a connect the dots movie. And what I mean by that is that everything moves from point A to point B and everyone does a passable job along the way. Everyone says their lines at the right acting moment, but it's not very good. There's no heat to it. This is a movie with like multiple romances and there's like there's no electricity at all. Uh, it feels as though they did an outline of the novel then just said, okay, we'll just film all of those individual scenes and just stitch them together. You know, it has like the bland narration, very in and out. It disappears for so long that it's jarring when it comes back in. Uh, it has, guys, it has one of my favorite generic sex scenes where he's on top. There's a close-up of her gripping his back. You don't like, the, you don't see anything. It is... It is less original than the pick-and-roll play, is what I will say. Um, performances are all fine. Daisy Edgar Jones stars. She does okay in a part that isn't... They didn't really write that great, but could have been great. So is she better in this or fresh? Nah, I, I just don't really like either movie at all. I'll say she's she's better in this, even though the movie is probably worse. Or more bland, I will say. Good question, though. Um, Taylor John Smith and Harris Dickinson play her two love interests. They're like pretty dull versions of a handsome angel and a handsome devil. Um, it just makes me wonder what happened to the major literary adaptation. Uh, we don't always embrace like those beloved literary books as movies anymore, but maybe that has to do with the quality of some things that we get. All right, you guys ready for the gray man? Sure. <laughs> I'm ready for the gray man. Yeah, I am too. Uh, so the gray man, when the C, I'll say this. This is what it's about. The CIA's most dangerous assassin uncovers agency secrets, and then he is hunted by dangerous assassins. That's pretty much as simply as you can put it. Now, this is if you're thinking, I've seen this movie before, you've seen it this movie a thousand times. <laughs> Yes, I, it had some cool flares, some cool touches. It had no cool flares and touches. And here's my argument to that. It doesn't always have to be 100% original or... Like, it can just be a, a film of a genre, and if you're a fan of the genre, you'll get at least a marginal watching experience out of it. I just, I just, I just want to clarify that because you said if you're a fan of the genre, I'm a huge action movie guy. My favorite genre movies are like '80s over-the-top action movies, and I hated this movie. This is not the action I want. John Wick is about the only film series doing action good these days, and I hate it. So many bland, terrible action movies. The fact that this one got so high profile is nuts. We are gonna come back to that. Um, so, so put those on the back burner. This is directed by the Russo brothers who let's talk for a minute about their filmography because they have one of the strangest careers in modern Hollywood. Um, they began, they had a movie called Pieces that premiered at Sundance. It was never released theatrically, um, but apparently it was well received there. I, I've read that Steven Soderbergh approached them after he saw it and like offered to produce their next film. Their next film ended up being Welcome to Collinwood, which, Matt, as you mentioned, you had kind of a middling reception to it. That was sort of the critical consensus, too. Yeah, I don't I don't think it even made its money back. It was maybe, like, close. But it has a big cast, right? William H. Macy, Clooney, Rockwell. Yeah, it had an ensemble cast, and I think they were all doing the most with what they had, but I, I, I just... It definitely wasn't my 
favorite, and I'm I'm glad they were able to gradually improve on their work as time went on. Welcome to Carnival was kind of like a, a caper comedy, would you kind of say? Yeah. Yeah, that was based on an Italian film. Um, and then they did some any Emmy-winning work on Arrested Development, so very successful in the TV sector there. But then they, they go back to comedy, but at the theater this time, and they make You, Me, and Dupree, which it I'll give it this. It made some money, uh, made over $100 million. However, pretty critically derided, and I don't think remembered today as one of the great comedies of the 21st century. Maybe to you. Yeah, you love and What's your favorite scene in You, Me, and Dupree? Never saw Name You, Me, it. and Dupree. <laughs> and I can, I can give you a thousand people right now off the top of my head who also have not. <laughs> yeah, not, not the biggest success, which makes this next run just so it's so confusing so they have welcome to collinwood you me and dupree two movies that you know maybe some people like them but not hugely successful here's how they follow it up captain america the winter soldier i think a favorite amongst many marvel fans captain america civil war then avengers infinity war and then at the time the biggest movie of all time avengers endgame i i it, um, it's so bizarre well i want to speak on that a little bit because actually i got my timeline a little messed up uh, so they did the arrest development stuff they did the yumi and dupree and then that's when community came in they did a lot of producing and directing on community which is definitely one of my favorite sitcoms of all time uh especially the paintball episodes they did a couple of the paintball episodes which are some of the most iconic episodes of the show and it's i mean it's a sitcom but it also it like dips dips their toes into like the action comedy genre almost with those episodes Mm -hmm. but they have a lot they have a lot of like really cool well shot action sequences for a sitcom with those episodes among the others that they did and then they you also start to work with like ensemble casts and like they put a lot of heart and a lot of like sincerity into like the way they write the the roles and the lines for their work so I, I can see like the inner machinations of like a lot of the good stuff that they brought to the Marvel movies in the stuff that they did with Community if that makes sense I think that's a very smart connection, and thank you for bringing that to us. I don't think any of us would say that any of those Marvel movies are bad or on the lower end of Marvel. Does anyone object to that? No. No. Yeah, and so what's odd is they have these, and they're all super successful, and they're all really good. Um, But then when they sort of step out, of the Marvel system, and I'm not saying that's the direct cause, but it's interesting. Their first one out is Cherry, which Tyler, you could not get through. I I do not enjoy that one. Matt, have you seen it? I saw it. I it wasn't my favorite, but it, I think it had some good bones. It just wasn't personally for me. Yeah, just the execution was not They're there. Horrible. Ever everyone was doing so bad in that movie. Like every single actor in that movie was doing a bad job. <laughs> Also, like, side note, I find it really interesting that Tom Holland has... And he's young, he's young, and I'm rooting for him. But he has, like, yet to translate outside of Spider-Man into something else, like, that's, like, really successful. No. (laughs) But, I mean, I think, speaking of Spider-Man, that's how I feel about the Russos. Like, John Watts. John Watts did nothing before MCU. They, they they don't even they don't even like the, I don't get why they're bringing like these auteur directors on when like clearly they don't care they're just gonna be like here's everything this is exactly what we want I like at least I mean Raimi you got to see a little of his touches but like they bring on John Watts who directed two films no one ever watched to bring to do all these Spider-Man films you got the Russos coming on after directing Welcome to Collinwood and You Me and Dupree. <laughs> And yeah, I mean, TV, it's, but. and you're right, like, the story is the story, and they can only do so much to sort of put their stamp on it, um, but after Cherry comes the Gray Man, and, you know, I have to say, 
I think the Gray Man is their best non-Marvel effort. Um, Matt, do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, just to mention this, so this was written by Joe Russo, and I saw, should also mention that um, Joe Russo co-wrote Extraction, which um, I think was pretty successful for Netflix. At least they said that a lot of people watched it. And I believe next year, Extraction 2 is going to be coming out, so it must have done well enough. He wrote this with Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. This is based on a book by Mark Graney, which has turned into a series which might foreshadow things to come with this. I think they definitely left that open in the movie. But, Matt, what were your general thoughts on The Gray Man? Would you recommend that people see it? You know what? For what it was, I, re- I did enjoy this movie. Um, I, I'm not going to try and argue say it was the most original piece of work I've ever seen. But for me, sometimes that's okay. Like, if I go to see a movie of a genre as long as it has the pieces there and it has some cool flair and some cool sequences then i'm here for it It, i mean it's uh an espionage adjacent action movie with a whole bunch of people i like in it doing decent jobs especially uh a, a couple standouts being um a couple of the standouts being Chris Evans, Anna de Armas, which who who actually gets more to do in this than she even did in the last Bond movie, so I'll give it points this for that. True. Um, is it going to be a hit with everybody? Probably not, but I still say it's worth checking out. Um, yeah, I'll leave it at that for now. Tyler, so my thoughts on this, my general thoughts on this movie are: Have you ever reheated like um, fast food fries in a microwave? <laughs> That that's I don't this think movie. So, but I get the idea. <laughs> now, so like it's bland, but like I mean, if you're eating them with a beautiful Cuban woman, then like Anna de Armas, it's better. So I mean, I'll give it points for that. <laughs> it was still, oh my god, the most bland movie I've ever seen. I've seen this movie ten thousand times. The most boring plot. Oh, CIA is doing something shady, and this guy knows, and they're after him. Like, if it was a more grounded movie, I feel like it would have been much better, but they just went way over-the-top action, like, <laughs> so stupid. Every every character interaction was just awful, like, the banter and stuff, and just, like, every the way every character acted was just, like, getting on my nerves. I, uh, I like Thor, I'm gonna land in the middle here. I will say... The watching experience, just sitting there looking at it and listening to it, I really liked it. I had a lot of fun. The set pieces and the action were enough to entertain me. Um, but once you hold up a magnifying glass to this thing, you see that the biggest issue is the writing. There really isn't much to a lot of the elements here. The characters are pretty flat. Like, the performances are okay, but the characters are not there. And even when they attempt to instill some humanity and personality in them, the effort is really half-hearted. Ana de Amos was good. I was struggling to figure out who her character was and, like, why she was going to such great lengths during this. There's, like, an outline of who she is, but it's not fleshed out. That's um, this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. It's an outline. <laughs> uh, Ryan Gosling, who is one of my favorite performers... I thought he was like above passable in the movie. It's not a great performance, but I don't think he's being asked to give a great performance, if that makes sense. I was pretty disappointed to see that like this was his return to film after four years, but luckily we're getting Barbie next year in this film. Foreshadows that, in fact. Mm-hmm. Um, not, again, not that he's bad, not that I didn't enjoy this. The can humor. I, can I just Go bring ahead. up something real quick? I could not buy Chris Evans as a sociopath. I, I'm sorry. You know, you did too many Captain America movies. Like I was just like, okay, like it just did not work for me at all. So, so what about Knives Out? You didn't like him in Knives Out. I, I mean, Knives Out. He played like a smarmy douche. That worked. That's fine. But like, he's trying to play like a sociopath and like I like a ridiculous one. It just did not work at all. By the way, that's going to be our newest t-shirt design. It's going to be a picture of Tyler, and it's going to say Smarmy Douche. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, li- I actually liked him more in this than I usually like him. I'm usually not like his biggest fan, but I, I-, I was fine with him in this. I 
will say for everybody, not just him, but everybody, the humor felt very flat. Mm -hmm. Not because the tone is like super serious and actiony for such long stretches. Then they throw in like one really weak joke once in a while, and the character inflections don't change much when they tell the joke. So they just like come and go in the dialogue. I heard like one <laughs> from somebody in our audience like the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And this movie is over two hours. Um, you know, we saw this in a theater, and I was telling Tyler, I'm so glad we did because, like I said, I had fun with this. I'm overall positive on it, even though I'm going to pick some, you know, nitpick a little bit. But I know that if I saw this on Netflix at like 3 p.m. and the sun is bursting through my curtains, I'd be in movie mediocrity purgatory and I'd be like, ugh, on my couch watching this. So I am I am glad that I saw it in a theater. Yeah, I will say the nar- narratively is definitely its weak, weakest point. I liked a lot of the set pieces, though, and a lot of the action sequences. And I think that made it worth seeing in a theater, if nothing else. Mm. One of the biggest issues that this has, both as a movie and a franchise, is... So Ryan Gosling plays Cortland Gentry, but his name is only said once, because the rest of the time, he is mostly referred to as Sierra Six, or most often Six. That's what he's called, Six. Which doesn't exactly uh, you know, roll right off the tongue. Not that it's hard to say, but... If you're trying to, like, come up with this character who's going to hold and star in several films, there's got to be, like, some calling card that you're like, oh, yeah, that's the guy. And, like, the gray man is fine, but they never call him the gray man, hardly ever. I did like that they threw in the 007 just to be like, yeah, we're just making, we're just, we're just riffing on this. Like, that's all it is. It's just a 007 copy. (laughs) I actually kind of like this better than the last 007 movie, if I'm being honest. Yeah, I did too. Um, <laughs> that's that's wrong. No, I like this better than No Time to Die. No yeah. Time to Die is leagues better than this. One of my other big issues with this is that we get one Gosling shirtless scene, and hey, if you're trying to please an audience, of course you put in a Gosling shirtless scene. But he is so jacked in this. It's crazy how much muscle he has, which is fine because he's supposed to be a super strong assassin guy, but we see Cortland Gentry eat, like, one piece of a deli platter in this movie, which takes place over a few days. When is he working out, like, three times a day? When is he ingesting 7,500 calories in a day to remain this muscular? I didn't buy it. it you know when? During every transition to a new country that we don't yeah. see. That's when he's, he's there just, like, so many countries. push up. No, he he had his regiment all set up, and then the whole thing, the plot of the movie started to happen, and he's like, "Oh well, I got to deal with this first before I can get back and uh, come on." Hit the reps he lost again. some muscle mass. I didn't buy that, <laughs> uh, but I get it from a, a visual standpoint. Chris Evans is playing Lloyd Hansen, really going for it in this role. Apparently, he declined the lead role to he wanted to play the villain, um, which I think is always a cool move. I thought he was all right. He was pretty fun. Again, the, the the big issue here, and Tyler, we talked about this, is that for a long stretch of this, he is like sequestered to a room and he's just yeah. bossing people around. Yep. He should have been they, out there fighting the gray man. They hyped up the conflict between him and, and the gray man. And they, they share like two scenes together. And one's literally a millisecond where... <laughs> like it was so dumb why are we just watching him sit around in a room being like ah guys get him <laughs> what a waste like, i understand they're trying to they're trying to build up to this showdown which is fine but like have him doing something else yeah don't just have him like looking at a few sc- don't have him be ed harris and he's just in the control room yelling at everybody Oof. that's ed harris's thing leave it alone <laughs> true uh, like we said, Ana de Armas, she was very good. She's always enjoyable. Her character was just not developed. Her character just seemed there to help. And I understand as an agent, she's entrenched in the whole thing. Could have been much better, and it's a disappointment that she was not. 
You know uh, whose character nice. is, is that? That is even worse. That but Everybody. worse. Alfred Woodward. Alfred Woodward. Character. Yeah, Alfred Woodward, who I I love, plays Margaret Cahill. And again, it's there were just so many people that they come in and out so much that I forget that they were in the movie an hour before. They only threw in a flashback just to give us a character to later talk about. Like, I, I honestly yeah. forgot she was in it. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, it was really nice to see Billy Bob Thornton. I really like, yeah. I love him as an actor. But again, he just kind of comes and goes. Same with Regis Jean Page, who plays <laughs> a, like a, he plays a dirty CIA guy. And they do a couple of things to establish him as the villain. The most powerful of which is that he does not wash his hands when he's in the bathroom. He threw a coffee cup. He was harassing Ana de Armas. They did so many little things that I went, yeah, okay, this guy's dirty. I don't like it. Uh, Julia Butters, I, I just thought she was above this role. I think she's just better than this role. I agree. I liked her in this well enough. Like I thought she brought the most, again, to what she was given. And I've liked everything else I've seen her in so far. But I, I do agree. Yeah, it's too bad. Um, I mean, she's very young, and she's she's really great. So hopefully she... Hopefully writers will give her some good parts. Um, but this, this was not it. She does fine with what she's given. In again... I, well, we'll talk specifically about the flashback sequence, but that was totally unnecessary. I do like that they give her a pacemaker for no reason. The movie doesn't use it for anything. <laughs> It's so that they can go, hey, she's got a pacemaker, man, come on. Those other villains are going to be like, oh, pacemaker, oh, okay. yeah, well, let's just stop right here. Yeah, like, it never affects the story once. <laughs> well, it did in um, that flashback. I mean, that is their whole setup for their meeting, I guess, but still, other yeah. than that, like... Does the action work for you guys... Matt, were you satisfied with the scenes? In in parts it did. In other parts, it was fine. I, I I thought it was marginal to decent. I uh, I did really like the park scene where he's the one hey. where he's on the bench. Yeah. I was I was mixed on that one, but Tyler, what did you think about the action? I I just thought it went way too over the top to be interesting. Like it every every bad guy was just kind of like a. a cookie cutter like he shot him and then it just just falls and then like they just like all of a sudden they have rpgs oh they have a, a truck with the grenade launchers in the back and they're blowing up cops like i'm just like what is going on this is way too much it just was not fun in my opinion the the action was way too over the top it felt like a superhero movie and like i'm just like i'm done with this like massive destruction action give me like a shootout between a couple people that everything's not exploding that's all i want see i i thought about this during the movie i liked some of the overtop this like, like i like the fireworks thing that was fun but the script was not over the top enough if they had yeah. gone crazy with and had like you know just as a comparison like tarantino interesting side characters in this I think it totally could have matched up together, but it didn't. They had this this over-the-top action with these characters that were pretty bland. Um, I thought the action was mostly satisfying. There was too much cutting sometimes, and like yeah. not at the best angles. Sometimes it wasn't entirely clear what was going on. Sometimes they blurred it when I thought that was not effective. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but like the mix on this, the sound mix was designed as though they were doing, like, jump scares. I, like, jumped a few times during this. <laughs> there were a couple times that were it was, too loud. <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 was a pretty loud movie. I feel like we I noticed that when it, like, first started. And then I and then I kind of got... I don't know if it's that I got used to it or if the sound mixing kind of leveled out after, like, halfway through. Yeah. I, it, was, it wasn't bad. It just, you know, something. They really ratcheted it up. I just want to bring up two things about the action real quick. Um, first is, yes, you can, modern action movies, you can hold a camera still on a shot of action. It's fine. You don't need the, the camera as frantic as the action. It's so disorienting, and I can't stand it when you can't even tell what's going on. Like, it literally... But how like, else like, are we happening? gonna know that things are crazy? Yeah, I know. How really? else are we gonna know? <laughs> how else are we gonna no cover really up all know. the, uh, all the stunt doubles and background, th background stuff? 
yeah deep fake them i don't care <laughs> uh, but also this is this is to the russos but to every filmmaker stop with the drones use the drones sparingly you don't need it swooping in every shot and flipping around and <laughs> getting every it shot. works for ambulance Not, it, it was it was over the top in ambulance in an otherwise great movie it was way too much in this movie like it was just, swooping shots stop with the drones no drones drones for overhead shots alone that's it that's all you get i want more of it. i i feel like there weren't enough scenes of two people talking and then the drone just camera just like frantically circling around the oh my talk. god i love that i love that in ambulance what are you talking about hey you want to get a meal there's just a drone that is <laughs> That are like get a, a non-alcoholic beer. <laughs> that are like just go all the way up a building, just come all the way back down a building, just because they can. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a little much. As we mentioned, the dialogue could have been touched up. Uh, Chris Evans uses a line from Babe in this, and it was not effective. And I just have to say this, Tyler, you said don't use the drone. I'm saying do not disrespect Babe. Or else I will be very upset. That's an automatic point off. That'll do, pig. We will be talking extensively about Babe in our George Miller episode at the end of August. Um, This movie cost $200 million. Do you guys think that Netflix will consider this a good investment when all is said and done? I can't imagine they do. How many subscribers are subscribing for this movie? I can't imagine many. And also, why did you spend $200 million on this movie? Yeah, I... That that was one of the first thoughts I had walking out of it. As much as as much as I did enjoy it, I really can't see this being that big of a draw to justify the the cost of it. Yeah, especially like this was in select theaters. I don't know if it's going to be there much longer, which I guess is in tune with what Joe Russo said about the movie theater business. Uh, he told the Hollywood Reporter, "Quote." It's an elitist notion to be able to go to a theater. It's very effing expensive. So this idea that was created that we hang on to, that the theater is a sacred space, is BS. And it rejects the idea of allowing everyone in under the tent. Um, Which was interesting. I think this film will be on Netflix, uh, I think just a week after it is released theatrically. Uh, Do you guys have any thoughts or opinions on that statement? I, I disagree completely with what he said. I mean, I get that movies are expensive, but also, like, it's not like movies just disappear once they go out of theaters. Um, it's fine that they do have a theatrical run, and then people can watch them if they can't get to the theater, in my opinion. But also, I just think he's bitter because he can't they can't get a movie outside of the MCU into the theaters. Matt? No, I, I, think, it, I think he does have a point. Like, it... Uh, like people like going to a theater is ultimately like a luxury you know so for people to tout it is like the end all be all of entertainment is a little bit elitist yeah i I think that's fair um i think his heart's in the right place and i think he has an interesting point i think it's maybe not not full exploration of the issue but um, did you see his later interview about auteur filmmaking? And now this is the future. Of, he's like, we need to get away from the reverence of auteur filmmaking. This should be the future of filmmaking. No, if this is the future of filmmaking, this movie, I don't want to watch watch another movie again because I felt nothing during this movie. I, I think there's a place for both. Honestly, there yeah. is a place yeah. for both, but you you can't be like, we need to get rid of move on from the notion of auteur filmmaking, like that. That's such an asinine statement. Um, yeah, I will say, again, it's something that he has the kernel of something there, but I I think it's not I, a full exploration of the issue. What I find funny about that is these aren't those aren't the movies that are dominating the theaters. The, the, the movies that are dominating the theaters are your tentpole action movies anyway. So, like, he's yeah, saying a lot of nothing because, like, nothing he's saying is even true. Like, it's not like everyone's going to the theaters to see, like, you know, I don't even know. Give me a random film that's not a big blockbuster. Can't even think of any. There's none in the theaters now. Everyone, like, crimes Malcolm's of the future. List. 
Crimes of yeah, the Future. Crimes yeah, the that's future. a perfect example. Like the yeah, Crimes of the Future is blowing up the Baha'i side. No, like that's not, the what's in the theaters is what you're making these bland action movies. I mean, it'd be better if Crimes of the Future was good, but that's 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 for another day. <laughs> another we already got like Crimes of the Future. All right, before we get to spoilers, I want to give you guys a couple of alternate versions that could have happened with this film. I'm going to give you a director and actor pair. This could have been directed by James Gray and starring Brad Pitt, a little Ad Astra action. I think that could have been good. That, that um, would have been much better. We're pretty much getting that with Bullet Train, not, mm. not a James Gray, but um, yeah, I, I would have liked that. And also... Could have also been Christopher McQuarrie and Charlize Theron. I think that could have been great. That would have been phenomenal because McQuarrie has the over-the-top action scenes down pat. Yeah. He does those well. We will be getting Dead Reckoning, I think, next year. Yeah, Dead Reckoning Part 1 next year in Mission Impossible. All right, you guys ready for spoilers for the Gray Man? Let's spoil the Gray Man. Let's do it. Although you've seen this movie before. (laughs) Maybe a little bit, yeah. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think, Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shield for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. What was your guys' favorite action scene? I like to call. I like the fireworks scene. The trap door was all right. What did you guys like? So my favorite was the train scene before, like the the van with the grenade launchers came in, and it got so over the top. But it was just nice to see a shootout, you know, between him and, like, he wasn't stabbing people with, like, a fork or whatever he was using before. Like, it's just a straight-on shootout on a train. It was a cool sequence up until, like, they started just blowing everything up. Matt, what'd you like? I liked the, uh... The, bar- the park bench in Prague scene where he was handcuffed to the bench. I thought that was kind of an interesting setup. It's like, oh, how's he going to get out of this? I mean... So I thought the setup was great, too. And I had the same exact thought. I'm like, oh, I'm excited to see how he's going to get out of this. I would say the execution was maybe not great because they were like, oh, nobody can get to him. There's, there's too many cops. I mean, um, I, I, I guess I could expand to the whole Prague sequence, which included, I think, that, the train scene... Yeah. Um, some other cool, cool parts. Um, and honestly, I didn't hate the final showdown once they finally got to face off uh, Lloyd and Sierra Six. Yeah, that was all right. I I, uh, I I thought it was like a cool little showdown. I wish I had gotten more out of it, honestly. Yeah, it was also like they were going into a hedge maze, and I'm like, oh sweet hedge maze this has a lot of possibility and then they're just like hey let's meet in the center all right cool see you bye yeah yeah i like like most of their other stuff marvel aside i think it's got good bones to it but it doesn't always quite get there as far as execution but i think i mean i feel like they've been getting progressively better at, in that yeah, regard, I, I mean, if you look at, like, think... Welcome to Collinwood, Yumi and Dupree, and then Cherry, and then this, like, I mean, this is better than the rest of their non-Marvel work, like you were saying, so. This is true. However, when you put it like that, I was like, oh, man, not a, not a super high bar, but <laughs> yeah, no, again, I like this. Uh, when they were in Bangkok, I will give the screen play this credit. Good screenwriting move in the beginning when Six is supposed to shoot through the floor uh, to that guy, but he refuses because there's a kid in the way. Good way to get the audience on his side. That's literally done in every movie ever. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) But they had the knowledge to do it. So, Really? I don't remember that from Yumi and Dupree. (laughs) 
or uh, Marmaduke. He, I don't. I don't even want to say what he was doing in Yumi and Dupree. Uh, this movie also also follows the the screenplay rule of conversations, or I'll say people die after the conversation is over. So only once a conversation is complete do people die, and that's exactly what happened with the original agent who gives him the flash drive. I, I always find that annoying in movies. Like they're very convenient death. Like hey, you better give them hell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's always like <laughs> eyes glazed, head leans to the side, and you know that they're dead. I just want to see in a movie. I want to see once where a guy's like, "Okay, you can leave me. Just let, just let me die here. Like yeah. it's gonna be a while." The plane scene. Did you guys think the plane scene was better in this or in Uncharted? Oh, that's a tough question because I, I I think both of them were ridiculous, stupid, and awful. This one started because a one bullet apparently blew up a hole in it. These planes are designed to take anti-aircraft fire, yet you fire one bullet in it, and it's blowing a hole in it that's going to rip the whole thing into shreds. Well, because it came from the inside and not the outside. That's not how it works. It was a very determined bullet. Come on. That is not how pressurized planes are. (laughs) A little hole in it's going to make it explode. Yeah, I mean, I like the setup of the sequence, and that's actually a really cool scene in the book when you you see that um, Fitzroy has ordered the hit on his own guy. They, I would say they didn't do it to the full effect in this. Um, and also, it was this was one of the ones where it was like, the angles of the camera were not perfect. You couldn't see exactly what was going on at all yeah. times. I um, did kind of like the road flare thing. That was kind of cool that he used the flares to fight. He didn't really use them for much, but it was kind of a cool... Yeah, I agree. But this uh, movie, tra- which is filled with tropes, I just want to bring up one that I, I, I always bothers me as well, is the, oh, I gotta get the guy with the parachute because I'm free-falling out of the sky. He just always catches the guy with the parachute. It's so dumb. Every Every movie that features a plane... They got a free fall to get to the person with the parachute and to take the parachute. I don't remember yeah. that from Disney's planes. <laughs> I don't remember anything from you Disney's planes. You weren't watching planes. very closely. <laughs> I remember, I don't know how old I was, but like young enough where I was knew nothing about like the rules of drama. And even during planes, I'm like, this is a really poorly constructed story. <laughs> I, like, in my 11 year old brain, or whatever it is. I don't know why I thought that. Well, I do know why I thought that. But um, the trap door when he's going to get like his fake passport, you know, that was that was interesting. I, I like that. Yeah, I thought that was a cool, cool twist. I guess subversion of expectation. I mean, I knew that the dude was probably going to double-cross him because of the bounty or whatever, but I wasn't yeah. expecting the trapdoor. I thought that was a nice piece of flair. Should the Gray Man have fallen for that, considering everything else he can do? Probably not, but no, it was I mean, fine. He, he he's, also, he's as smart as the script needs him to be. Well, no, I don't think he necessarily knew the bounty was out at that point on him. So I don't think he had necessarily a reason to expect the guy to double-cross by that point. Yeah, that's fair. Um... I, it didn't bother me that much. The car chase train sequence, it brings us to an essential question of many action movies, many superhero movies. Did more people die than were saved in the movie? 100%. I mean, the objective... They saved one girl. I was going to say, the objective wasn't necessarily to save people. Besides well, the it was to, to save Julia Butters. Yeah. But then a lot of people died in the car wrecks, definitely. Yeah. That's good. Just good. Good on you, Gray Man. You saved one person and got countless families destroyed because you did not care about collateral damage. Although he, he started to in one scene where he's like, "You gotta clear the square," and he shoots, and everyone runs away. And then on the next scene, when they start shooting, it's just full of people again. And I'm just like, "What? <laughs> they all just leave?" Well, that, that's what those were all the people who fled L.A. during ambulance who, who went to Prague. Like, ah, a new start. It's, it's, the, yeah. it's the same type of people that ride their scooter between a couple of dinosaurs. Yeah, that guy, <laughs> too. True, that's like I was probably in that show. So, uh, Danush plays a character called Avik San in this, which I would have never known in the Did movie. Did they say his name once? I I don't know. I've I know we clue. call him like his what do you call him? I don't even know like what they Tamil, call him. Tamil friend or something. No, it was um something like some kind of wolf, wolf something. 
Oh. I don't even remember that. I don't remember that. But he is fighting the Dearmas character. <laughs> Her name, dumbest. by the way, is Danny Miranda, which I... I would have never been able to remember that. Um, I think they said her name once. They said Agent Miranda one time. They didn't. They don't care about people's names in this movie. No. Well, when their main, their iconic character is called Six, that is apparent. Okay, but how but, many people's names from John Wick do you remember besides John Wick? None, but I at least uh, remember in, in John Wick. In the movies, Wick. I remember. I'm like, I'm not watching the movie, and I'm like, I, that character, like in my mind, because I don't know a single one of their names. They're fighting, and then he just, like, suddenly gives up the information, the flash drive. Matt, was there a reason for that? Because I was trying to figure out, like, in the scene. I'd always like, oh, they're not honorable. Yeah, it was kind of a quick heel turn, but, I again, I think the sentiment was there. I just feel like it could have been fleshed out more, like a lot of stuff with this movie. Well, I thought Danush, as far as acting goes, I, th- I thought he did a pretty good job. Yeah, he's a, he's a wonderful performer. It just, again, he wasn't given a ton. Yeah. The, the, what, what I don't understand is they clearly tried to, like, create, like, his conscience change um, when he was like, you got a girl here? Which, first of all, like, what? They didn't say, like, she was a young girl or anything. He was just like, what? There's a girl here. You got a girl in this castle? Yeah, no and, girls allowed. Boys <laughs> rule, girls rule. And then, like... <laughs> And then, like, he still fights her afterwards, and then mid-fight, he's like, oh yeah, I forgot I was supposed to have changed my mind. (laughs) Well, because I think they were, like, both choking each other out, and he's like, there's no way that I have a stronger will than her. So, I'm just, I'm out. I'm done. You know what I thought was gonna happen, and I'm shocked they weren't smart enough to do this? Why didn't they take the the SD card, or whatever it was, out of the necklace and put it in their pocket? So when he took the necklace, he never checked. It would have just been like, they don't have it. I, I thought it was going to go that direction myself. I would have liked that as well, honestly. <laughs> it made sense. Yeah, do, do a little road warrior business. Uh, so, let's talk about this. What does Sierra 6 want? He talks about a future. He asks um, Billy Bob's character. He's like, oh, did you guys ever have an exit plan? We know he's been in jail since he was 15 years old. And he's going to be in jail until 2031. What does he envision his life being? He's never, like, lived a normal life. You are asking a very interesting question that this movie didn't even bother to ask. That would have made much more of an impact if this was, like, about him just trying to get out of the life. Like, I thought if that so was too. the motivation. That would have been a much more interesting film than, like, oh, he's just got to save someone. I mean, I think... I, I at least got the the notion that, like, basically Billy Bob Thornton's character and Julia Butters' character, that's basically the only family he ever knew. So his mission was basically to save her and then everything else. They didn't really go into his plans afterwards, but that was at that point, basically, his mission was completed. Yeah, but he asks him, he's like, oh, do you guys ever have an exit strategy? Like, I want to get out of this. But what, like, what is, I know he doesn't want to be an assassin anymore, but... What does he want? That would have, that would have added to his character yeah, so much. Yeah, hundred percent. And then we get the flashback scene, which is again like their attempt to instill some humanity. Uh, this it comes at like a really weird period too. It's like a half hour into the movie. Uh, Silver Bird by Mark Lindsay, very featured very prominently. This is where Sierra Six watches over. Uh, Claire, her name was Claire, the young girl, and it was fine, but it could have been cut and the movie wouldn't have changed at all. They try to like, you know, do this family thing together, but they like, they don't seem to bond whatsoever. Also architecture question, if Fitzroy knew what business he is in, that people are going to come after his family, and he says this in the movie. Why did he hide his niece in a house that was mostly windows? <laughs> also, I didn't like, get that at all. Like the most easy to find house. Like it's just in the middle of nowhere, and it's like around. Like I, live in the suburbs, no one would notice. I don't know. I thought it had it, that. That brought up one of the one of the one liners that I enjoyed from this movie. One of the handful Which of them. Which was what when he's when he's talking about like we're 
we're fighting in a historic house. Calm down or whatever. I can't remember exactly how he worded. Oh, you it, made but... me. Dis- you're making me destroy a historic building. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just like I. You can see into the house at every angle. Like, what is going on here? Why did you pick this? Uh, and then <laughs> the scene where she's by the pool or whatever. So at some point, Sierra Six comes in with a nice suit jacket on. At some point, he takes it off for whatever reason. Then he decides he needs it back. I don't know what he needs the suit jacket back on to do. But he's like, I don't know. I don't know where this thing is. Maybe I should go ask the girl who I'm supposed to be watching right now. (laughs) So he goes and asks her. She's like sitting on it. Somehow it's not wrinkled to all hell. And then they talk about Sisyphus. The character who was punished by Zeus for trying to cheat death has to roll a boulder up a hill and it always rolls down. He has to roll it up again, which I guess was supposed to be a not I guess they were trying to make it a stand in for him. He is supposed to be Sisyphus. He can never get out of this life. Found it not effective at all. No, it wasn't. And once again, if they leaned more into the question of, like, is he can he try to get out of this life, I think it would have been more effective. But, like, I, I already forgot about that. So. <laughs> yeah, the, and the scene, I thought the scene where uh, Gosling was, you know, as Six was talking about his backstory, I thought he did a better job than a lot of actors would have done. Um, and we get those like little cuts of flashback where his dad is trying to teach him how to be a, a tough guy. Or as he puts it, what did he say? Like, oh, my dad was a real macho guy. <laughs> like I could to be real macho guy. I could hear the village people coming in <laughs> ready to play. I want to be a <laughs> macho <laughs> man. <laughs> Uh, that was okay. It's just like it needed more character. That's that's what we've been saying the whole time. Would you guys like to see a sequel to this? No, I, they played out the whole story. What's the sequel? Who cares? I don't care about any of these characters. Uh, maybe he faces off against Lloyd Christmas from well, Dumb and Dumber. Probably gonna be that he takes on like uh, Renee Jean Page and such, but like who cares? Renee Jean Page or. Um, Jessica Henwick, who plays uh, the other sort of Suzanne. dirty-ish Suzanne, Suzanne the worst, Brewer. The worst role in this. All she gets to do is just be like, ah, you're a bad guy, Lloyd Hansen. Yeah, I mean, I found her to be an enjoyable presence, but they just kind of like third acts. Here you go. You're on now. That kind of thing. Also, I mean, this is an, a trope that I'm going to hold this against this movie. It's in every action movie now, but like the, the random, like, shifting severity of injuries to me is so jarring. Like, he falls into the pit, he's like, oh, I can't breathe, and then he's fine. And then he gets, like, stabbed slightly in the side, and he's like, oh, I gotta stitch this up. You were just in, like, in a train that derailed. You've been, you've been falling, you've been, like, shot, you've been beaten. And now, like, that, that that's the one you need to worry about, and you're just gonna stitch that up? You were stabbed. You can't just tape it back up. That's not how it works. Yeah, but he was so ripped, it was fine. It didn't get past his muscle. Like, you either have to treat injuries as, like, serious things or not. You can't just have a scene where he's like, ah, I gotta treat my wounds. You're injured in every way imaginable. <laughs> like, ah, this one stab wound. Matt, do you want to see a sequel? I'm not opposed to it. I, I, I got enough entertainment out of this one where I'd be willing to check out another one. There is more I would like to see out of the writing and the character development aspect of it. So if they can improve on that on the next one, or if it goes to a a different team of filmmakers, I wouldn't mind seeing this through a different team of filmmakers just to see where the IP can go in different hands. Um, Or if the Russos just, like I said, if they can tighten up some of the writing and work on some of the character development i'd i'm the interest is there enough for me yeah i i think that's a good point this team you know just as an example i know it's the prime action example right now but if christopher mcquarrie like picked up this series with this talent i think that could be great um so i i would say i would like a sequel too if it never happens i'm not going to be disappointed whatsoever 
but I think I would watch another one. You know what I will give props to this movie for? No forced romantic uh Oh yeah, thing. that's true. I, I did appreciate that. That's true. That that was a good I didn't even really like think of it and I'm glad it didn't enter my brain as as I was watching the movie. Well, they would have needed to well, I guess they wouldn't have needed to make the Armas a character cuz they shoehorn in generic female characters all the time, unfortunately, but uh Gosling Gosling has covered so many genres now. He's sci-fi, drama, romance, comedy, now he's doing action. I don't think we've ever seen him in a straight-up horror movie. But I would love that. However, we will in Barbie 2023. I was going to say, instead of a sequel to this, just give me Barbie right now and I'll be happy. Yeah, 100%. Where do action movies go from here? I feel like, as at least from Hollywood, internationally there are a lot of awesome action movies. Um, from Hollywood, you know, a lot of it's on Netflix. Talking about Triple Frontier, Red Notice, Extraction, Gunpowder, Milkshake. A lot of like mediocre stuff. I'm, I'm con- even like, <laughs> I'm convinced you made half of those up. Gunpowder milkshake. Don't forget about a real Kate. Movie. Karen Gillan movie. You uh, know, yeah, Kate. Ava. You know what Kate does? Is she doesn't take the shot because there's a kid in the way. <laughs> so I'm on her side. There you go. Even Amazon like had without remorse. It had all the old knives. Matt, you watched that, right? I don't remember much about it, but yeah, exactly. Uh, theatrically, Uncharted, you know, kind of more of an action adventure thing. Top Gun was successful. No Time to Die, The King's Man. Um, but yeah, it seems. Unless, uh, am I forgetting something egregious? I know John Wick is kind of ruling the roost right now. There's only one of those that I that you listed that I actually liked. I or I like significantly liked. Which one? Top Gun. Yeah, yeah, which is continuing to be successful, but. I don't know the the genre. Bullet Train might, could is going to be interesting coming up. Oh yeah, that's a good point. I hope that. Can I bring up a completely unrelated Top Gun point real quick, just because I want to laugh at it? Okay. Did you see what Sony said? The boss of Sony. No. That Top Gun has Venom two to thank for such a good box office, because because they re restarted the box office with Venom two, even though Shang Chi was what convinced them to not delay Venom two anymore. So Just you're riding high with the biggest hit of the year, a cultural significant movie, at least for this year, and then you're going to go and say something like that. Just like stand there while they applaud. That's very on brand for Sony and their, and their like, not, ne- not necessarily just marketing, but their, their uh, public face. Their public- yeah. I yeah, mean, we're talking about the point. company that re-released Morbius because of all the memes. <laughs> this, is, this is true. <laughs> hey, I still saw it six times. Just kidding. Yeah. We'll never watch it again. <laughs> saw, it, saw it every time they re-released it. Oh, well, you know, it, it does. It just doesn't seem like the action genre is essential to the movie culture right now. However, I mean, you could say that superhero movies are just extension action movies. Which is terrible. Because this is what they've done to action is make them so excessive and over the top, like, and now it's just bland. I've seen yeah. I've seen cities get destroyed millions of times now. I don't I don't need it. Wow! I just want like an actual cool action you, scene. You've seen millions of movies destroying cities to see to see cities be destroyed millions of times. Mil- millions of movies, millions of Marvel movies. I've seen millions. Millions. Of them. There's millions now. Millions, and millions. <laughs> I saw DC movie. Everyone's destroying cities. It's not cool anymore. It's not. It's not a spectacle anymore. Like, like we just said about Jurassic Park, the dinosaurs are done. This, this <laughs> over the top action is done. Nah, you're right. You're right. How about how about an action movie where they're all fighting each other to rebuild a city? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll watch that absolutely. But this is kind of why I'm kind of excited for Bullet Train. It's, I mean, I, obviously there seems to be like explosions and stuff, but most of it seems to take place on a train. It can be a little more grounded. I like that. Mm. Snow. Chris Evans previously successful on a train with Snowpiercer. Mm, yeah, true. true. Train to Busan. Even though that was more of a horror movie than an action movie, I would say. But still, still... that one that one was a pro- that was a a knockout for sure. I will say during when I saw this, all the trailers I saw were really good. I think there's some great stuff coming up in August. Guys, I'm excited for Beast. Yeah, same. I, I am too. 
I, I'm just like laying in bed and I go. That needs to stop. Idris Elba just busts through your wall, like. Yeah, I, I'm just excited to have like an animal attacking movie. That's true. Yeah, we haven't got one of those in a while. I hope that I hope that's good. Well, any final thoughts on the gray man? The bland man. <laughs> got him. Well, it's not a great man. It's it's a good man, I would say. It's an okay man. A good man is hard to find. Well, if you, the listener, have any thoughts about the Gray Man, the Russos, Ryan Gosling, any of that, you can write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the show, please rate and review on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at screensaverspod, and our Facebook is silverscreensaverspodcast. Matt, where can you be found online? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler. Find me on Instagram and Twitter, at Tyler Sutkus. You can find me on Letterboxd, at Tyler96. And I can be found on Instagram and Twitter, at Michael underscore Gallat, and on Letterboxd, at MGallat, G-A-L-A-T. Well, thank you all so much for being here. We had a lot of fun, and we will see you next time. Nope. Stay down to bone. Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallant, Tyler Sukkis, and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, intro music by Charles Michelle via Pixabay, logo design by Nathan Seidel.